Hey folks, welcome back to Shootside. I'm your host, Ferris Simon. Got a great episode on tap for you today, but before we get into it, I want to thank our sponsors at SC Online Sales for being the title sponsor of Shootside. SC Online Sales was established in 2013 when co-founders Dave Geyer and Roland Shoemaker recognized the opportunity to take online livestock sales to the next level. And after investing 18 months of blood, sweat, tears, and capital building a custom sales platform from the ground up, SEO hosted its first online sale in the fall of 2014. And what started as a dream sketched out on a notepad has grown to a team of 30 talented employees with sales reps located all across the country. While their innovative sales platform that is very user-friendly and works on your cell phone better than anything else in the market is certainly an asset, what really sets SEO apart is their team culture and commitment to customer service. And I can attest to that personally. I've bought and sold on this platform, and it's my favorite one to operate on. Because of these things, SEO has truly fulfilled its mantra of becoming the place to be for online livestock auctions. Regardless of species, they too do semen sales, fulfillment, junior fair livestock auctions and add-ons. The list literally goes on. Every step of the way, when you're dealing with SEO, whether it's booking your sale, submitting information, collecting settlement, or settling up on a purchase you made, the SEO team is dedicated to their customers, and I think that's what makes them so great. Visit sconlinesales.com today to view the upcoming sales, or if you have something to sell, book your next online sale. It all happens here, literally. Well, uh, we have Willie Weiss back on the show with us today. Willie, welcome back. Thanks for coming back on. Yeah, thanks for having me. And we're going to skip the intro and his, uh, you know, his background a little bit because we've had him on so often this season. I do really want to get into a little bit of what we talked about last time you were on. And if, if you, the listener, wondering what, what we're talking about, last time Willie was on, we had our good friends uh, Bodie Schliff and Will Coron as well. We did a little breeding heifer state of the union and talked about a lot of concepts of line breeding, the way these breeding cattle um, have kind of changed over the years, the way they're looking, which direction they're going from here, which direction we can take them from here. And you've been on a pretty torrid junior national tour lately. I don't remember how many you said you went to and multiple different breeds. Compare what we talked about to what you saw in real life, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, first I went to the, uh, the, the main and key junior nationals, which is always a fun one for me to go to because, um, you know, basically there's four shows within one, you know, at, at one location, you have your main Angus, maintainers, high mains, and then your key show. And I guess even five, if you consider your, you know, key Angus as a separate show. Um, and that's always interesting to me because you get cattle from all over the country come, you can watch, you know, four or five different shows, like I said, and really allows me to kind of gather a lot of data. Um, cause you get to see, I think it was four different judges, um, sort that show. Cause I guess actually they have, they had a low key junior national show as well. Um, so there was three shows on the key side and then, you know, then the three on the main side, not counting the bread knowns. Um, and one thing I would say that's, we hit on pretty hard in that state of the union podcast was we really feel that it's going to start to trend to trying to make these cattle, you know, wider built and have more substance. Um, and from what I could tell, that was 
definitely on the minds of most of the judges that were sorting the junior national. Um, and they were trying, trying to get more power in the cattle. Probably the biggest differences were those type of cattle weren't always available, but either way it was, it's trending in that direction, in my opinion. And the champion maintainer heifer, um, I believe it was a Skiles girl showed in, in my opinion, that was maybe as unique of an animal as I've seen win a show in, in quite a while. Um, and I'm a very, very critical person. And there was not a lot that I could put holes in that female. I thought maybe she was just a skosh moderate, but as I've always said, it's a lot easier to make them big than it is to make them good. Um, and she was extremely good. She kind of had the look that we talked about in the state of the unit from, from the side of just being awesome, balanced, you know, remaining flexible, had some bone, um, was really feminine and maternal, how she laid her muscle onto her skeleton, but yet you step behind her and she was wide pinned, wide built, and just really had like a nice round shaped upper part of her rib cage. She was really impressive. I hope, hope, hope a lot of the listeners um, get to see her on down the road because that was truly an impressive female and one that's extremely hard to make and one that I'm going to keep in my mind as I'm out hunting for a stock this fall to try to see if I can't get one rounded up like that to sell. You know, it, it's interesting that you bring that one up, and I and I only saw the stuff from the, the Pulse, but, uh, you know, we talk about genetic progression and such, and I believe that one and maybe the key both had pedigree types that uh, aren't new by any stretch of the imagination. I think those pedigrees are a little bit, I don't know if you want to call them dated or classic, Yep. One or the other. I mean, am I remembering what I saw correctly or um, am I mistaken? Yeah, no, they're, so I think they're both out of, uh, out of Hudeman cows. I believe the one of Skiles that I'm referring to um, was raised by Joe Sullivan um, and Tony Jeffs would have traded her to the Skiles family. And then the one um, of the Goda Miller boys that won the key show, I believe that one was raised by Udells and is also out of, a Huda man, uh, which would be there. I believe the red thunder cow, if not one of the other Huda mans, but yeah, I mean, they both were similarly bred Angus sired, um, back on a Huda man cow. So yeah, they're, they're not, not bred anything new. Um, but just definitely kind of, especially that maintainer or, you know, headed towards where we're, Oh, I want to apologize. The, the maintainer was, an I-80 actually out of a Huda man, which like you said, is even less new. Yeah. Fairly classic, I guess. Um, and I'm asking this purely out of ignorance. I have no idea. This is why I'm asking, but are, are there many, um, Kiania options or abilities to make those high keys out there without Huda man back in there somewhere? You know, not really. Um, it seems to be that, a lot of them, if they're not, you know, if they're not out of a key Angus, that seems to be the bull that's in some of these cow families that has the highest percent, you know, key injected to some of those cows to where, you know, we can get one or even two generations away from who demand and still have, you know, the six and a quarter percent key needed uh, to make a high percent key female. So, yeah, no, it seems like almost or a high percentage of them are definitely you know, have some Huda man in their pedigree somewhere. And then the other, the other junior national that I went to was, 
Um, the hey, let me ask you one question real yep. quick, though, before you move on to the Simmentals. I was just thinking about this. You know, I don't remember how many years ago it was that they switched the rules and, and the show at the Junior National, you had to have the six and a quarter, which yep. eliminated, I think, a lot of the heifers out there. But this year they brought the low keys back and they had a low percent show at the Key Junior National. Yep. Oh, and I always thought when they when they changed that rule and made them the six and a quarters, the kind of heifers that were coming to the Key Junior National changed like overnight just based on how much key they had in them and the eligibility and the pedigrees that actually could create that. But I very rarely ever saw them side by side. Can you comment on how different those cattle looked or didn't look? Because yeah, I can yeah. have in my mind probably what those two divisions looked like. But I'd be curious to know what what it was in reality. I'll be honest with you, it probably wasn't as different this year as I expected it to be. But at the same time, the key influence or the low percent key show probably wasn't as populated as I expected it to be. You know, when they say low key, I figured honestly, probably every calf at that show, whether the main side or the key side, would show in it. That's you what know? I, I mean, thought. And it really wasn't that way this year. I think there was a lot of people that were just unprepared. So I'm I'm assuming as we go forward, like this year, when people are able to buy calves and they can they can game plan and say, hey, we can buy a low key percentage female, and still go to the main and key junior nationals and exhibit her. I think there's gonna be a lot more people planning on that. It really looked to me like not many of those cattle like showed multiple times. If they you know maybe showed as a maintainer. A few of them re-showed as a, you know, a low key, but not a ton of them. So to be honest with you, there wasn't that much difference in them, but I think into the future, I really could see that low key show being a mixed bag of shapes and sizes because I could see some of those having just a shot more, you know, being some more terminal sired cattle or having some terminal sires in them just because those type of cattle would have, um, you know, enough key to show as a low key but maybe wouldn't be just, you know, the Angus sire on a, on a high key female, like we're kind of getting accustomed to seeing in the, in the, the higher key show. Yeah, no doubt. I, I figured, I was like, yeah, I figured there'd be a ton of them there and they'd maybe be a little more club calf in their appearance, maybe a little closer to, uh, you know, maybe some of the stuff you'd see running around my place versus your place. But tell us yeah. about the Simmentals, uh, the semi junior nationals, your thoughts there. Yeah, I mean the Semitols, It was it was there was a ton of stock there. Um, I'm not sure on the actual number, but it was it was held in Grand Island, and they had both both wings of the barn, you know, full of cattle, which was great to see that many uh, people getting excited to go out and show after maybe they didn't get to show as much as they wanted um, last year. But it's kind of neat, and at the same time, it takes forever. But they'll pick a top twenty, you know, both in the low percents and the high percent females. Um, which makes means a lot of times they'll go, uh, they'll go ten deep, you know, in a division. Depend upon how many, you know, are in that particular division. I guess there, there was, uh, you know, in the in the top five, there was two heifers that I thought, um, well, three heifers that really stood out to me as ones that I thought were probably pretty progressive in in, in their kind. And I'm going to kind of focus on the purebred show, just because I think a lot of the um, the low percents there, it was a good show, but I thought the purebreds were, were a lot tougher. Um, I'm going to highlight a few of the other ones I liked. So the reserve, the reserve overall, um, was a, was a fall born, a fall calf actually that was sold by Tim Schaefer. And I couldn't even tell you, um, the family's name that showed her, 
but um, she was really, really intriguing. Um, I believe she was a relentless pace to believe maybe. And uh, another one that was really great structured, had a killer look, but still just had some width and shape when you got right in behind her. Um, then there was a heifer uh, shown by Sarah Sullivan. I believe she was a quantum leap out of their proud Mary cow. Um, they've shown some other stuff out of that I thought was, was really intriguing. And maybe if you're going to take one home to, you know, to breed on and make a cow, not so sure that's not the one we should all be loading up. <clears throat> she was stout and bold, um, you know, had a really big stout rear leg. And even though she wasn't just the craziest, you know, headed and necked, plenty good chested, plenty long enough fronted. Uh, but like I said, that one had just a lot of stoutness and a lot of feature. Um, and then there was one shown by a Schick family in Illinois. <clears throat> and honestly, she was, she was really neat for me because she didn't have 10 hairs on her whole body. Um, she was crazy long, long and level hip, still stout pinned, um, could go really good, flexible in her spine. You know, she maybe had just a dabble of chest, um, but holy smokes, was she high tying and, and long fronted. Just one, if you could just turn her out, you know, and say, heck, that's what we want to, you know, we want a breeding piece or a, a high percent female to, to like just look like, we'd take a trailer load of them. And I thought from a mating versatility standpoint, you know, she maybe didn't have the, the wow factor of those other two I discussed, but also she was so just fault free and so good in her build that I think the mating potential on that one is endless. Um, and I think that's one we could probably see down the road in some embryo sales and raising some really good stuff. Cause even though she wasn't just tricked out in any, any one way, she was really, really good and really, really hard to make for that breed. Let's get into uh, the meat of the episode. And this is an idea you, you and I had talked about, you brought it to my attention a while ago. Um, before we've recorded really any of these other episodes this season, I think this might've been the initial idea that you had when I asked you to come back on this season. And now it's kind of mushroomed into four or five appearances. I think we have another idea we want to, we're wanting to execute here in the next week or two, but it's a discussion of fit versus no fit shows or fit versus blow and go shows. I don't want to put words in your mouth and, and, and so go ahead and kind of give the people your stance um, on fit versus yeah. non-fit shows. Yeah, and I guess where I'm coming from on this is I always think it's funny because, you know, I've been to both fit and I've been to both fit and non-fit shows. And I remember like growing up, I mean, you know, I loved to fit cattle and I still I still enjoy it. Um and I was always like, you know, whenever I was at a show and they talked about having this show be non-fit, I mean, I was just fighting mad, right? I mean, I always wanted to fit. I always thought that was an advantage, you know, that I could give myself if I got good enough at fitting, you know, to maybe outfit some people. Um, so I, I was always on that side. And then now as I've gotten older, you know, began to sell some more calves, uh, been to more shows, and then even, you know, started to judge a few shows, I've started to realize that, you know, there's actually some benefit to, you know, to a no fit show. And in my opinion, I think both belong. I think there needs to be both fit and non-fit shows. And to me, it's more of a strategy of which shows are fit and which ones are non-fit and kind of having a good balance of both 
And as we dive into the discussion and kind of get through uh, uh, some more of our, our points here today on this topic, hopefully, you know, everyone will understand that we're not running down no fit shows and we're not running down fit shows, just more or less talking about the good and the bad of both and hopefully trying to shed some light to some people, you know, from this conversation, maybe that are running a show or going to a show just of, you know, kind of what some of the advantages and disadvantages are of both. Yeah. And, and that's the, always the goal of everything we try to do on this, on this platform. I will say, you know, you talked about when we were kids uh, wanting to have the fit shows and I was right there with you. We both come from States where our state fairs were junior fit only. I think yours is more family fit. Our state fair was junior fit now with the California Youth Ag Expo. It's wide open to the world. But I think as a junior, there's certainly you're certainly rooting for uh, a fit show if you know how to fit. Because I think when I was in 4-H and FFA, and, and I would say the same would be for you, I thought it gave me a huge advantage over the competition that I could glue a leg and, and do it passably well. Yeah, I think in 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 a way, yeah, we we would be giving up a competitive advantage, um, but I think by giving up one competitive advantage, um, we maybe could capitalize or could work on another one. And I guess to me, that point is that if you take away, you know, the ability or everyone fitting a calf, um, we would ultimately have to try to breed those cattle better, which both and you, both you and myself are very passionate about. So I almost feel like if, you know, not every show was fit to where we could hide, you know, these the cattle's faults with glue and paint, that maybe we would just have to just try a little harder, you know, to breed those faults out of them, you know, ultimately making a better animal, you know, for us to sell. And those those better animals that we could create, you know, would hold more value um, when we go to sell them. Now, I think you bring up a good point. I, in a perfect example is if you look at the state of Texas, they do a lot of blow and go down there now. And I think part of that is because they have some cattle that are slicking cattle and some that are haired and maybe, you know, the haired ones fit. And most of those guys with the slick ones never used to fit them, even when they had the option. But because they've made shearing cattle and you've sheared all that wool off of them, those cattle have gotten to be really really good and really really uh competitive and and i'd agree with you because if you're it's such um hair having hair i don't even know if it's fitting as much anymore but having big hair and someone with a remote ability to fit them reasonably has become such a just monster advantage anymore compared to what it used to be yeah, it sure definitely seems to be the case. And I know like when you talked about, um, you know, like the shows in Texas, that was kind of when it really hit me um, that maybe, you know, maybe no fit wasn't the worst worst case scenario. Um, I judged a, a jackpot show down in Texas and, you know, and there wasn't a ton of breeding heifers there, but there was just a plethora of really good steers there. And what was interesting to me is that at some of these cattle would come in fit and some of them wouldn't. Some of them would come in and you could tell they were slicking steers and you could tell some of them were haired steers. And it was a lot of fun just to sit out there um, and judge them and just not care what they were for, if they were a haired steer or a slick steer, if they were fit or not, and just really dig into the details, you know, and 
and place those cattle, you know, back and forth just for the, the good ones up and the ones you didn't like down. Um, and that was when it kind of really dawned on me that it's like, well, there's not maybe as much to this as I originally thought when I was younger. What about the argument in our, you know, we got friends that would make this argument of if it's not for these fit shows that guys like me and you would have never learned how to, to dress a calf. But I guess you're probably not saying let's eliminate all the fit shows. You're just saying let's eliminate specific ones or create more non-fit ones, right? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there needs to be, like I said, a, a mixture of, of fit and non-fit. You know, you know, for me, honestly, I still there's nothing better than when you see, you know, a maxed out calf, uh, you know, at a in a show ring. When you're when you're watching a show and one goes in, you know, or a, a pair of them go in and they are fit to the highest level you can fit them. There's nothing cooler than seeing that stand out there. So you don't, you know, you don't want to give that up and never be able to experience that or for people that are just coming into it to not be able to experience that. We don't want that to go away. But in my opinion, or what I've, the opinion I've come to gain is that not everybody has the ability to fit them at the highest level, you know, and honestly, even now that we're selling them, um, some of these shows we go to and, you know, it's, it's hard to get them all fit. And at the same time, it's hard for some of these families to be able to afford everything that goes in um, to getting one fit to the highest level anymore. And I just get to start worrying about, you know, at least in Iowa, there are tons of people um, that are starting to show pigs and they're starting to show goats. I mean, this goat thing is taken off and is just launching to another planet as far as the popularity. And for me, you know, I sit down and think, well, why are people so interested in these other species? And I, you know, kind of always come back to you and you think about, you know, the cost of how much does it cost to, you know, go to a cattle show on a weekend versus how much does it cost to go, you know, to a goat show on the weekend, you know, or how much does it cost to go to a pig show? You know, what all, what all goes into it? You know, you think about when, you know, if you're going to go to a cattle show, the amount of tack you're going to take, the amount of supplies and fitting supplies, and, you know, you're probably, if you're not able to fit the calf, you're going to have to hire someone or bring someone along to help fit. You know, there's a lot of planning, a lot of work, a lot of gear that goes into that. And then all of a sudden you sit and you watch someone, uh, you know, show pigs and it's like you go, they roll in and they got their, their trailer with their pens and they got a little bucket attack and they got their feed. And it's like, they roll out their lawn chairs and they roll out their little, you know, their little grill and they're just kind of hanging out having a good time. It's like, I feel like we've really lost that you know, in our, in our jackpot circuit, because everybody is so worried about, about getting them fit. Yeah. That's a good point that I've never considered now that I think about it. And frankly, I haven't gone to too many pig shows in my life. Uh, and you know, maybe this is a shock to some people, but I'm just, I'm really not a fan of, of hogs. I don't like the way they smell. I don't really like looking at them or anything of that nature. So I, I try to avoid going, but I recently went, they did one out here right down the road. And uh, Natalie and I went down there cause I had a sheep show too. You're right there. Just the atmosphere of, in the, is different than, than the cattle barn. And I think you bring up the point, a good point of, just the the show day presentation level is a little bit different 
you don't need the whole pit crew like we do in the cattle barn uh slinging glue and and you're right it's you know the the families that have the the top end means that are going to be going to Kansas City, Louisville, Denver uh and competing they're always going to be there and I think those shows are always going to be ones where we utilize glue and paint and I think and I hope they stay that way but I'm I'm tending to agree with you as I think through this that to encourage more um engagement amongst some of these younger families or let's face it there's a I would I would venture to say the majority of the customers out there don't go to major shows where they could just kind of go and have fun and we're not worried about fitting those cabs no one's worried about fitting those cabs uh as someone is selling them we're not the families aren't just hey go to the show have a good time do your thing we'll pop in maybe but you know you'd save a boatload on show supplies you don't need to pack a shoot and uh yeah have a good time see you next weekend that's what i'm talking about i think we absolutely i think we need to you know especially in these jackpot circuits i think about the you know the ijbba shows you know here in iowa um you know we start out with the iowa beef expo which is you know one of the toughest shows anybody could come and you know come and watch anywhere in the country um you know, and it's the cow that are winning are, are just maxed out fit. And it, it's a lot of fun. It, it's fun to be there competing in that show, and it would be fun to watch. Um, but then, you know, there's a couple jackpots after that that are tough. There's one in Ames. Um, you know, there's there's one, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think, down kind of southwest Iowa. Um, what's the, there's the one you judged this year. What was that? Where was that one at? Afton. Afton. So Afton, Ames, you know, the Iowa Beef Expo were all really competitive, large shows. And then it just seems like kind of after that Ames show, the numbers just really trail off. And I think what happens is, and and I'm guilty of it, by that time, you know, myself, the people on the fitting crew, like we're sick of going to shows, right? We're sick of being gone every weekend. For me, after Ames, you know, it's like I really go home and just try to focus on kind of working on my cows and and making sure everything's going good with, with uh, the, the baby calves and everything. And just kind of like have to kind of take a break to kind of reset before we start again, you know, up for the summer. So we always encourage all of our customers, shear those heifers off, you know, turn them out on grass for a while and just kind of give us a reset. But ultimately, I wonder, it's like if those next five shows or those next, you know, month worth of shows were no fit, well, heck, we'd encourage those customers to go, you know. And it's not really fair that we end up encouraging customers not to show their calves just because we don't want to go fit them, right? And in my opinion, we need to find a way to, to make these things fam- family friendly again. That way, we don't have the amount of the amount of families that we currently do leaving the show calf industry, you know, and maybe buying some pigs or or buying a sheep or buying some goats simply because they talk about just how laid back the shows are. You know, I hear people all the time talk about how they can go to a hog show. They'll compete all day long. Like they'll come home from the show and still have energy to like, you know, go do something when they get home. It's like, heck, you watch everybody as they're loading their trailers. Like when they get into their truck to drive home from a cattle show, they're just hoping they keep their eyes open long enough to make it home. You said um, not encouraging our families to show. I don't know if that's necessarily the case as much as it is just the 
the parameters, I think, discourage those families. And this is what I mean uh, by that is, okay, I know you you uh, have a crew at these shows, uh, like Iowa Beef Expo, and you service the cattle that you sell. Um, yep. And we've had this discussion. I can't remember how you do it, but for us, we also have a crew that services the cattle we sell. And because we have so many to dress out here, for example, on a normal year at Western Bonanza, uh, we'll dress any calf that we sell if you ask us to, um, and we'll clip every calf if you bring them to the house. We always do that. But at the show, we'll we'll put enough crew together to dress your calf if you want it. The only thing that we ask is that you cover our expenses because it takes a big crew on you know a normal year at Western Bonanza. We'll me and Jay will have twenty calves, twenty to twenty five calves to dress on over a day, day and a half because most of them are steers. So it takes a lot of bodies to do that, and it takes a lot of overhead. So we we will kind of just whatever show we'll go to out here, and we just split the cost up amongst the calves that go there, right? Yep. So when there's a bunch of calves, as you know, there's economies of scale. The more calves you have, generally speaking, the per calf price is cheaper, because you can kind of spread that cat cost out over calves where I see families get discouraged. And I didn't think about this as much within this context until you brought it up is same as you March rolls around for us, our big show seasons in February 1st of March, we're in, we're, we've been cabin, we're in the cabin, we're working calves, and we've been to so many shows and dressed so many calves that, that we're tired and a lot of the families are now all the big ones are over and they're starting to pick and choose amongst the smaller ones that they want to go to. But we don't have any blow and go shows out here. So those families will say, hey, I'm going to this show. Um, and it's, you know, four hours away. Um, can we like, is there someone that can fit this calf? Just the cost to hire someone to fit one calf for the average family is prohibitive enough that they're they decide not to go because well i can't compete if the calf isn't fit it doesn't make sense to to pay someone to come up here and do it and in all reality and and this may sound cold but from a business perspective it's hard for me to send maybe adrian up there and get them a $150 hotel room to go dress two calves all day on a Saturday and part day Sunday and and have that make sense in terms of being financially responsible. And maybe that sounds cold and that's not the way. I know when I first started, I used to run around and dress them all myself but and, and do it for free. But that's not realistic anymore, at least here. Like There's no way we could do that. More and more people out here are starting to go to that kind of same a la carte service you're talking about where, you know, kind of lump all your expenses together, divide it out and, you know, basically build the families for, for that expense. Um, you know, and I just keep thinking about, okay, like, let's say we get through the Iowa Beef Expo, you know, and, and maybe Ames is, is fit and we make the rest of the IJBBA circuit no fit. I think about, you know, not only from my perspective, but from the family's perspective, Think about if they brought their calves up a string and they have three kids and they brought their, their three calves up, 
you know, on a weekend before they were going to start hitting some of these, these shows that were no fit. And we clipped their calves out, got them ready. They very easily could show those calves at, you know, three or four weekends in a row before they would ever have to think about bringing them back up and getting clipped. You know, maybe they would need freshened up a little here or there, but they could get a lot of miles and a lot of fun showing those calves without needing any help from us, you know, without needing to have any huge expense of fitting supplies, breakdown supplies, you know, hiring fitting help. And in my head, I just keep thinking about, okay, if these families, if they could save 500 to $1,000 every weekend when they were going to go out and show, would they show more? And, you know, would they stay more interested in, you know, cattle versus going to some of their smaller species, you know, that are a little cheaper to show? And in my head, I keep thinking that that answer is yes. And like you said, not that those families that are going to, you know, that are competing at Kansas City, Louisville, and Denver, not that it affects them, but we're talking about there's not enough of them to buy all the calves that are being raised in the country right now. There's not enough of those, you know, truly top end families that we can't all fight over them and sell every calf that we raise to them. You know, we need, we need large groups of customers. And in my opinion, we need to make sure that, you know, let's, let's call this a sport, that the sport that we are involved in is still geared in the way that these families or these players want it to be geared so that it accomplishes what they want, right? I mean, moms and dads, they want this to be a family-friendly event that is fun for them to do on the weekends because it's hard work. It takes a ton of time and it's still going to be a large financial investment. They want to teach their kids life skills and they still want it to suffice as, you know, a vacation or as fun and a hobby for their family because that's a lot of times the budget that is being used, you know, to do this project. Yeah. And, and even for your customers more so than mine, I like to think that those heifers receive way more glue and paint than a steer does because you guys are doing their backs and their whole bellies where we're, we're not doing their backs and only part of their bellies. But you, your average, at least to build on your argument, I probably have some customers that'll be like, well, you've fit those, that calf the last couple of weekends. We can at least glue his legs and paint them and like never touch them with a set of clippers, but we'll be pretty close. Whereas I find it, I would find that your average home would be a little bit gun shy about gluing a back and a belly and all the other parts you have to do on a heifer to compete and, and, and feel good about it. No, I think you are right on track on that, no doubt. Can you imagine the amount of time the average I was just thinking about this while you were talking, the amount of time the average family would save on show day, uh, and, and how much fresher they would be if you consider not having to pack a shoot for these summer shows or these kind of just um you know, smaller jackpot shows. The hour and a half you'd save fitting them in the morning. And the hour and a half to two hours, you'd say breaking them down and rewashing them the right way at night. No wonder we feel so terrible at the end of a show day. Well, anyway, folks, it sounds like uh, we've been having a little bit of technical difficulty here with our internet uh, cutting in and out um, here near the end of this episode. But I guess I'll just kind of wrap this up here unless Willie pops back in in the chat. But the concept that he brings forth of needing to to make this fun again 
for a lot of these families because at the end of the day, he brings up a very good point that the majority of these families are showing on a local level or regional level. And you, are you back? Yep. I'm back. Sorry. All right. I was just going on this. I was just going on this long thing. How we're just kind of wrapping this up. And what I was saying is, is I think there's a lot of good points brought up that we really need to, to structure these shows or consider structuring these shows, as you said, to cater more to really the masses, because I agree with you. There's been an exodus of, of these families switching to these other species that take less show day input. I think those other species still take a lot of time and effort at home. I wouldn't ever argue that there isn't a serious time commitment at home and there isn't cost associated with the other species. But the show day uh, effort and, and especially the fitting thing during the summertime, I think is a drastic a drastic difference between the two and we've lost Willie again. So in summary, I tend to con- I I tend to agree with what Willie has said. I tend to agree with with his his uh thought process and discussion that in order to continue to keep some of these families engaged to continue to to keep them coming back to this project and having fun it's something that we should consider uh, at least at some of these shows, not ever any of the majors. And I think you're coming back in now, not any of the majors, but some of them in this late spring and summer, I, I think it's a really valid point to, to potentially have some of these uh, blow and go shows or non-fit shows for, for a lot of these families to attend. I think they'd have a heck of a good time. Yeah. And I still think there's some misconceptions that people have, you know, when they think about, oh, how terrible would a no-fit show be? You know, number one is, like, you know, the, the county fair mentality is always, oh, if you, the people that are pushing for no-fit, they don't want to work hard. You know, that's the easy way out. And I would, like, totally debunk that. In my opinion, you know, if you're going to go to a no-fit show and you're going to have one presented to a high level, you're going to have to have your hair worked so good that it stands up on end so it can be clipped crisp you know, when they go into the ring without any adhesive holding their hair up, you know, it's almost going to be more imperative your, your daily care at home for a non-fit show as it would be for a fit show. So I really think that is a misconception. And the other thing is, you know, I really don't think that the playing field changes. If everybody fits, there are enough people anymore that are really, really good at fitting that when everybody can fit, they almost all change to the same degree. So it's not like one crew is just wildly outfitting another crew to where they have this huge advantage. It's almost like everybody is is fitting their calves and bettering them by the same percentage. So if you were just to take that equation out of it, the field is going to be the exact same. Like they're all the best calf unfit is almost always still the best calf fit. Well, folks, that's it for this week's episode. Thank you guys for tuning in, and thanks for toughing it out with us there at the end with those technical difficulties. Sometimes when you live in rural areas, uh, the internet just doesn't cooperate the way that you'd like it to, and that's just kind of the way it is sometimes. But with that said, thank you guys for listening. Uh, Keep sending in your concepts of things you guys want to talk about or want me to talk about. Regardless, if you like what you're hearing, we'd appreciate a review on your favorite listening platform. 
can check us out on social media, Shootside Podcast on all social media, shootsidepodcast at gmail.com if you want to message us an email. And, uh, yeah, thank you guys. We'll talk to you next week, I think, if we get something recorded. But, uh, anyway, appreciate you. We'll talk to you soon.